Our coming age is like the Middle Ages because truth will be measured by the human being. It's breaking apart. Can't you feel it? How can you not feel it? Going to a school, I'm telling you, every kid thinks like this. Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? Yep, that's this podcast that's aimed at folks who maybe like everybody in the whole world has a sense of deep dislocation. Stuff's happening. This pod, we talk about heavy things, but we try to do it a little lightly. We'll use theology and history and all that stuff, philosophy, years of deeply immersive experiences. That's our work. We do this. We go in and we try to help folks by spending two years of our lives dedicated to other folks. All this stuff mixed up together, we're going to do it and we're going to talk about heavy things lightly, not the rabbits that are created every day like memes to have us chase around and make money for big companies. We're doing something else. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Hears. This is Why Are We Talking About Rabbits. This is episode 28. This is Nashville, The Bomb, and Books of Fiction. So, a bomb went off. On Christmas. How weird was that? Someone planted a crap load ton of explosives in an RV and told everyone to get away and then blew it up. By the time you get this podcast, they'll probably have a name to whoever did it. And then you'll say they blew it up and then we'll all go, did they? Maybe someone else blew it up and then, I don't know. It feels like a Netflix show or something, doesn't it? It's weird. What is happening in this story? What is true in this story? And what does it have to do with this podcast about new world and old world realities and how we see things? Hmm. Well, here's one thing it has to do with all of that. The way we think of fact these days, fact and fiction, well, the boundary between the two is becoming a little shaky. But, What is way more interesting is that this shakiness, this inability to decipher fact from fiction, well, I think it's actually a return to an old world way of seeing truth. The new world, I think, that we're always talking about in this show, that's the Enlightenment, modern age, right? It's what happens when a bunch of rationalists take control of culture, and we get a scientific age. The new world that I'm talking about on this show is really giving way to a new, new world. And ironically, the new, new world, which people call postmodernism, well, it resembles the old. Not entirely, but in lots of ways. A new Middle Ages is being born, I think, where the truth seems to be, I don't know, made up. But not really. It's multifaceted, maybe. Yeah, hard to pin down. Relativistic. Oh, there's a word. I think people went, yes, it's relativistic. There's relativism. Yes, this is what people say today. But maybe it's more than that. Maybe something very medieval and very normal is happening. If you don't like the word normal, very human, maybe that's happening. Let me try and explain. But before I do... This show is about fiction, 
and novels, in fact. We're going to talk about novels. So I think it's a good time for me to stop real quickly. Andrew, shall we? I need shameless music here, Andrew. Can we get something shameless? Something that would allow me to plug, that's right, my very own book. Today, FTF features for you a novel given to you as a gift during the holidays and given to you as a way to get to know us. First Things Foundation. Go to our website right now and you can get an e-copy of my novel, Three Souls, for free. That's right. Go now, sign up for our First Things website and dive into a narrative that leads you down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And you pop up in New York City circa 1995. And guess what? You're in a revolution against the machine. And the machine, in this case, is the education machine. Three Souls tells a love story, but not the kind you get on Hallmark. Learn more about First Things Foundation the old-fashioned way in a story. And if you prefer reconstituted pulp held in your hand, there's also a link on our pod notes to let you buy the paperback. Click and buy and gift and give. And when you do, you support our work, home and abroad. Get three souls for free today. Fiction. Fiction, what is it? Hmm. What is a novel? Wikipedia lists less than 25 works of fiction in all of human history before 1650. Let me just repeat that. 25 works of fiction before 1650. Now, look, I'm no firm believer in all things wiki, but what the hell is going on with that? 25? That's not many works of fiction before the new world's new dawn. In fact, many of the books that wiki call fiction aren't even really fiction if you study history. Most of the people writing things like the Epic of Gilgamesh were not trying to entertain you with a fictional work of art. Now, it was the Babylonians looking to tell the story of who they are. So, like, super, super really, fiction was barely a thing before 1650, at least in the way we now think of a novel. And what happened then? Well, a book came out. And the book that came out in 1650, it pretended to be a true memoir, ironically. That was actually parading as a dream, and that book was Don Quixote. And that memoir, which wasn't a memoir, it was a book faking a memoir, well, that's the spot where modern historians and modern novelists and modern people who love literature say, bam, the novel, the fiction genre. 1650. Now, why weren't there novels before? Like, what happened? Humanity, like, that's interesting, right? Why wouldn't they write more fiction back in the day? And back in the day is a phrase here that uh, is really dumb, but I'm using it because I think people get back in the day. On this show, back in the day is back before the day of the Enlightenment. Okay, so before, say, 1650, ironically. So listen carefully to this, because this is very cool. And a lot of what I'm going to say here, it's coming from Eugene Vodolotskin. I love this writer. He is a contemporary novelist. He's Russian. But his work is often translated into English, and really well. His translator is special. 
and very good at her job. Okay? Check out the pod notes for more on, on Eugene Vodolotskin. He's the best. But let's use some of what he says, and let's dig around inside this concept of novel and fiction, and then eventually get back to this bomb, okay? So it seems that ancient people didn't write fictions because, well, they didn't think of themselves as writing a novel because they thought of themselves as retelling reality. In their minds, medieval people and people before the Enlightenment were telling a true story. All of their narratives, all of the things that got bothered to be written down, they were aimed at truth. Like, word-for-word truth. I'm not exaggerating. All the scribes before the Enlightenment were doing a type of spiritual, philosophical forensics. They were creating narratives that aim to tell about the truth. To tell it, actually, not about it, to tell it, right? They were trying to tell about the thing up there, the thing in the clouds. My favorite thing is when people say, like, you don't really believe in a God in the clouds. Correct. But the God in the clouds is the concept that was given to you when you were four so you could fully understand the God, the thing, Because when you look at clouds, look at them. They're amazing. So the thing that's up there in our hearts and in our heads, the thing that's beyond the beyond, this is the thing they were trying to tell us about in ancient and medieval writing. The truth. The modern age, the new world, well, we see things differently Using science, men and women of the Enlightenment and almost everybody in America today and everywhere in the modern world, we imagine that truth is something caught. It's caught in time and space. We think that a good truthful account renders things just as they are in time and in space. See, that's just how it happened. We recreate it. All the material stuff of the story must be right. The goal of the true narrative is to get the stuff right. Replace material reality. Replace it. Actually place it again, just as it was. That's the goal. This is a linear and very materialistic telling of the truth. And this type of thinking, starting with the Enlightenment, it created a brand new space, that shift in the 16, 17, 1800, this this earthquake that moves stuff, well, all of a sudden people looked, oh, wow, I never noticed that was there. A whole new terrain was created. And that terrain we call fiction. I mean, think about it. If there is a way to tell exactly what happened in time and space, science, then what about all the stuff that didn't happen in time and space? What do we call that now? See, a scientifically told story done well was truth, is, quote, truth. And so all the other stories need a name. Voila, fiction. Fiction is the name of the stuff that's not scientific. In all the ages before the Enlightenment, no one could have told a fictitious story. Not the way you're thinking of right now. They couldn't write a novel. 
They couldn't get the facts wrong in the same way we think of today. Ancient storytellers could tell lies. Oh, no, for sure. They could tell lies. But they were lies because their story didn't match patterns of reality. They didn't match truth. And in that way, they weren't even stories. When people tried to tell stories that didn't match reality, that weren't wise, they were just nonsense. They were tales from beyond. See, true stories from the old world, well, are ones that icon or illumine or element the truth. And that's how it works. Your narrative, here's the narrative, blah, 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 blah. The sounds coming, blah, 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 from my mouth or the movements of the pen on the paper, they need to pattern, element, illumine, icon, reality. They have to match. And I can just hear everybody going, but who even knows? Like, how do you really know what reality is? Different podcast, great question, but not really. We'll get into that. Maybe we should. Maybe someone will write on that on one of our plugs. Would you like to write? How do you know reality? Write, and then we'll publish it on First Things, among other things. So the whole idea is that there's a shift in the way you understand truth, right? Just think of Aesop's fables, which they're not fables. See how that works? They're truths. Because they icon or image reality. That's why they were thought of as true. And someone, well, there really wasn't a donkey. I know, but there was. Because the story images the pattern of reality. And so everyone was very confident calling that a true story. So when you boil it right down, now I'm using Eugene Vodolodskin's words. The reason there weren't novels before the age of reason is because every medieval book was meant to reflect unconditional reality. Every book was, in fact, fact. The Middle Ages narrative was meant to show a pattern of reality, however small or however momentary the pattern was. Authorship was unimportant. What mattered was the text itself and its correspondence to truth. The medieval author transmitted truth. He didn't invent it. This is why medieval writings are generally anonymous and why plagiarism was natural in the Middle Ages. And that gets really interesting because going to a school today, do it. I highly re- You know, as parents, you can just show up. Now, I don't know what's the COVID situation in your school, but you know you could just show up and sit there and listen. But don't listen to the teacher. That's boring. Listen to the kids. You know what you're going to find? They don't really know what plagiarism is. And it's not because they're dumb and faking it. Authorship for them is super different now. It's all parts and pieces. It's like little DNA strands that they all chop together into some sort of reality that reflects their patterns of thought. The question is, is do their patterns of thought actually reflect the pattern? That's interesting. But go listen, because they're not going to really think there's a big pattern. That's the problem. But we'll get to that. All I'm saying is, is go into a school and listen, because the idea of authorship is starting to sound and feel medieval. Right? The new world I'm always talking about on this show is giving way to a new, new world, which, of course, is something like the old. 
A new Middle Ages is being born where truth seems to be mine or yours or varied or relative. And day by day, people are getting used to this kind of thinking. In the circles of modernity, though, now, these are behind the walls, right? These clearly edged places where Enlightenment values are still strong, like, say, white suburbs in America or good old-fashioned Protestant Christian circles. Like, go down to your Lutheran church. This kind of thing I'm describing, this new Middle Ages, is scary. Yeah, it's bad. It's called, by various people, moral relativism. Sometimes it's referred to as bum 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 nihilism. And it is. It can be anyway. You see, people are calling this what's happening to us the eclipse of Christianity. And they're calling it that in these modern circles, these places I'm describing to you, these citadels of the modern world. But what we're really watching, I think, is the eclipse, not of Christianity, but of the Enlightenment. It's the end of a linear material way of knowing. For 350 years now, since the scientific revolution New factual findings, new books have been replacing old ones. That's the pattern of science. And you can see when you're in Africa, that's not the pattern. When I lived in Africa, when our guys are there right now, Jake's there right now working, you can see that's not the pattern. One idea doesn't replace another. It's not the way people think, but that is the scientific pattern for knowing truth. Books that disagree one with the other, They get vetted, and then one loses, another wins. Like species, right, in the theory of evolution, one fact is always replacing another fact as more fit. One truth replaces another. In the scientific new world, paradox is not cool. It's bad. It's confusing. And paradox has not been cool for like 300 years. But the worm, what I'm trying to say, is turning. And you can see it in the concept of fact and fiction. The Enlightenment is dying when it comes to stories told, quote, truthfully. The modern way of thinking is now being rejected. Not knowingly. I'm not saying there's some anti-establishment, anti-Protestant, new postmodern mob that's doing this on purpose. Although that is what's happening. But it's, I, I don't, maybe it's, I don't, maybe there's a wall somewhere and behind it are all these people who are planning the death of Protestant American Christianity. I don't know. What I'm saying is that something is afoot, something very medieval is in play where truth is being told on many levels, in many forms. Its manifest is very personal and it feels so much like West Africa which in many ways is right now entering the modern age the way the West, Western Europe did like 300 years ago. And you can feel the old tug in Africa just like I know it must have felt 300 years ago in Europe, which is, no, I understand that, you know, the djinn visited me last night, the spirit of my ancestors, all that stuff now, even in Africa is like, really, dude, really? Was it a djinn? Can you feel that? Well, I think now in the West, it's coming back. Well, yeah, that was my gin. That's the way I feel about myself. I was visited by my parents.
science. And everyone calls that new age. But I think it's an old age. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is that when you hear the words, what is your truth? I think you're most likely hearing a human being of the Western New World mindset. Someone brought up on a serious lack of meaning. I think you're hearing them grope for the truth. What is your truth? I think that's them saying, really, what is mine? What they're doing is sort of like writing a novel in their mind where their fiction, their idea of themselves, wants deeply to be connected to something more than just a lark. They want something more than their singular narrative cry in their very dark soul. Aren't I connected? They're trying to find out if they're real, if they're connected to the patterns of reality. And in doing this, What is your truth? They're trying to find out if their pattern of thought and their pattern of being are in fact connected to the pattern of being, to God. You know, human beings aren't going to avoid this question. It's never going to happen where there's an age where that conversation just dies. It just takes different forms. Human beings aren't animals because that's, that's why, because we do that. Human beings are religious. That's by definition what makes us not a wolverine or a rat. So we're going to do it. We're going to try to figure out if we're connected to the creator. No one has to panic about that out there in Christian world. That's going to happen. The question is, what's the answer? Well, There's some interesting answers being thrown around. So in the simplest sense, people have rejected the very practical and very political narrative of the Enlightenment and all that stuff about reason, the city on the hill, the child of the rational God, all that stuff is being rejected. And they're rejecting it in favor of a wild, personalized narrative. This is what Nietzsche talked about a lot, this will to power stuff. And it's scary But it's also familiar to humans. Don't freak out. It feels a lot like the medieval world, which was a thing, which was what human beings did. Take a look at hagiography. Let's keep going. Hagiography means holy in the Greek. Hagiography means holy writings or holy writings about holy things. In the Orthodox Christian East, we do that a lot on the show, there's a lot of hagiography. But throughout all the myriad stories of martyrdom and courage and death and love and all that stuff, all these stories of saints that you read about, there's always an arrow in the story, a signpost. It it, it doesn't matter about the particulars. Did the saint lose his head? Did they chop off his tongue? Was he burned in a vat of oil? It always, always the story of the saint has an arrow and the arrow leads the reader to an unconditional reality. Each story always makes the man or the woman, the saint, the icon of the one thing. Somehow. There's always an element in the story that can be used as like a puzzle piece to be placed on this very beautiful canvas of truth. Fit in there. So in this way, the Synaxarian, that's the book where all these stories are told. The book of all the saints right? A very typical medieval kind of book. Well, it's a thousand stories and a thousand elements 
and yet one story. All at the same time. It's paradox. This is typical of what we call old world narratives. You can find it across cultures. The facts hold together, a floating head, a disembodied spirit, right? A burning oil. They all hold together because the story is true. Or better yet, this is a better way to say it. The facts are true because the story is holy. See, don't think facts. Andrew, tell them not to think facts. Andrew, put in music here that's like very important music. Don't think facts. That's what shit goes off the rails all the time. What time did you get up exactly, son? No, 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 no. What is getting up? What is the idea of up? What is higher? What is higher reality? Bigger picture. What's the thing above the thing? Here's the best way to think of it. The taste of the cake is more important than the ingredients. Taste the cake and then reproduce the cake from the taste. Like Neo in the Matrix or something. Or like Ricky Bobby when he, he's going to learn to drive the car with the mountain lion in the car and his eyes covered. Like Ricky Bobby. It's a Will Ferrell reference. That's funny. Don't even try it. You know that's funny. Reproduce the cake simply from the taste. You can look at recipe if you have to, but you don't need to. This is the old world way. So let me finish by quoting Eugene Vodolatsky one more time. There's an article he wrote for First Things Magazine, which is a Catholic magazine, ironically. It's kind of cool. So this author of Loris and the Aviator and other stories, he helps make sense of all this because he's a master of it. He's studied it. He's a little like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, you know, loved the Middle Ages too. And Vodolotskin, who I want on this show, help me with that, some Russian person out there. Let's do it. Vodolotskin says, all of this is fine and dandy. And all of it is very similar. But he adds something. He says, quote, The humanism of the modern age takes that human beings are the measure of all things. He says, The human being is the measure of all things in the modern age. Right? Just think of the UN. The Human Rights Commissions. He says, Humanism of the modern age takes the human being as the measure of all things. And he continues, the same could be said of the Middle Ages, but with one correction. And here's his correction. The person is indeed the measure of all things if it is understood that the measure was given by God. The Middle Ages says, yeah, you're right, humanism people. The human is the measure of all things if it is understood that the measure was given by God. In other words, God created the ruler. <laughs> Our coming age is like the Middle Ages because truth will be measured by the human being. It's breaking apart. Can't you feel it? How can you not feel it? Going to a school, I'm telling you, every kid thinks like this. It feels narcissistic for us older folks who are like, whoa, dude, really? You're just talking about yourself all day long? 
but it's it's not it is narcissism because it's not connected to the bigger idea but it's just a way of trying to grope for something that's been in many ways stripped from them by this modern age so don't get so mad at people who are trying to figure this out because what they're trying to do is replace in a scientific way what has been taken from them through the, through the modern age which is a greater sense of connection to a, the great pattern they're struggling with it. Vodolotskin calls this new thing that's happening the epic of concentration, where people will focus. And his goal for him is to get them to focus not so much on their own ideas as to turn their ideas and then shoot them back upward toward the great pattern, toward the God. But he has a warning, and we'll end with the warning. It's pretty serious. It's pretty ominous. He says, humanism becomes inhuman without the correction. If you say humans are the measurement of all things, but you don't add the part about God giving the measurement, God creating the measurement, humanism will become inhuman. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go read some more of him. I would I would recommend that. So, what happened in Nashville on Christmas? Uh, I mean, I, I guess we can wait for CNN to tell us. I mean, supposedly they're gathering the facts right now, which is hilarious. Or maybe Fox News will take a break from the markets and tell us about the bomb parts and the timeline, and that'll be really fascinating. Not... And then we can take their facts and woolly up our rational wits and we can decide for ourselves what happened. And then we can say, see, that story is fiction. This story is fact. We can do that. I'm down for it. We can get our, get our facts together. Or we could do this other thing and we could dig down and we can ask, what does the pattern of destruction look like? Or how about this one? What does the pattern of destruction look like in my life? Or or how do I destroy stuff? There's an interesting question. That means now that that weird recording of the step away, step away, it's going to explode. That weird recording that you see on the news actually has purpose. Because <laughs> now it's got you considering destruction and how you do it. How you do it. Right? We can dig around after watching this news and we can say, wait a minute. What is chaos or what is chaos as I stand before holy things? And what's a holy thing? Or we can even go and ask old people, wise people, what is anger? We can listen or we can just be silent. Silence a thing. So maybe doing it like this, right? With these questions, they'll let us know what really happened in Nashville. I believe that. Because maybe what happened in Nashville has already happened in all of us like many times before. And maybe we already know the answers. Maybe. Rabbits. We're chasing a lot of them. We don't have to. Don't do it. Jenny's Guggy Marjo. So that is our show for today. That means to you the victory. It's often said at the KP table in the Georgian Republic. We are going back in 2021 as a way to raise money for our work. If you'd like to join us, you should. 
to the Georgian Republic. That's our pod for today. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for being a part of Watar. Why are we talking about rabbits? Andrew Shork is the producer. Daniel Paternos is the editor. He's he's badass. We got guys right now back to work in Africa, in Central America, in Appalachia. We're bringing a new guy on. Peace to you, Michael, when you get on and you start working up in Appalachia. We are thankful for you, thankful for our work. Help us help others and their vision for a better life. Share Watar with friends. Hit us up with reviews. Could you do that, please? Could you please? That would be fantastic. Nakvam these to you. Hasta luego. Kambufo. And peace out.